Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Let's keep that in front of us. Let's continue to pray that prayer so we are bold in the name of the Lord. This morning, we're going to continue talking about a really a bold young man, a young man who was called by Almighty God to do some really difficult things. We introduced him last week, uh, and I want to share with you this morning a letter from this young man. His name is Jeremiah, and we are following along in our reading plan. We've been reading the Bible chronologically this year, this summer, Our messages are touching on the areas that we read during the week. If you're visiting with us, you can just look at the back of our bulletin. The plan for next week's readings on the back of the bulletin. And next Sunday, then, we'll be preaching from something in the week's reading. So we've been in the book of Jeremiah. And I want to share a letter with you this morning. We're familiar with the style of the writing in the New Testament, most all of us. And the bulk of that is letters. The bulk of the New Testament's letters, letters to various uh, Christian churches that were established in the first century. But this morning, it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting passage because it's a letter from the Old Testament. A little bit more unusual in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is more uh, history and uh, books of wisdom and uh, also poetic book, books, etc. So we have uh, something a little more unique from the Old Testament, a letter. And the great thing about a letter, the thing that I like about a letter is a letter gives us details usually. It identifies who the intended readers are, who the original audience for this writing was intended to be, And the contents of a letter, if you were to write a letter or I was to write a letter, we typically reveal the purpose, the reason behind the fact that we took the time to put something down on paper or nowadays, whether it's uh, an email or whatever, there's typically a purpose in there. And we address it to somebody so we know who it's going to, know why we sent it. And all of this information, when we read a letter from Scripture, It helps us to understand the writing and it helps us to interpret properly and then make application in our own lives. So this morning, the letter we're looking at, it was written about 2,700 years ago and that's a long time ago. And as I said, from this uh, young man, Jeremiah, he was the son of a priest He's the author of the letter. A little bit about him. When he was a young man, God called him and commissioned him as a prophet to the nation called Judah. Israel had split into two, Israel to the north, Judah to the south. By the time Jeremiah had come on the scene, the northern kingdom was gone. It had been uh, scattered by the Assyrians. They had come in and conquered. All that remained was Judah to the south, a capital city in Jerusalem, Jeremiah was called by God to preach to this little nation in the capital city of Jerusalem. And Jeremiah, initially, when he started out, we read Jeremiah chapter 1. It says, he began in the 13th year of King Josiah. So 
we can look into the books of 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, find out a little bit about Josiah. During this time, it was a, it was a pretty good time in this little nation because there was somewhat of a spiritual renaissance occurring in this land of Judah. We might call it nowadays a revival. And uh, that word fits really well for what was going on in Jerusalem because they were spiritually dead. They needed reviving. They weren't uh, partway in. They were really lost. And they found revival, and the key to revival for them was the word of God. Josiah's predecessors, they had let God's temple fall into a state of disrepair. They had turned the nation into a group of idolaters, and they had abandoned God's word. It had literally been lost. Now, Josiah sent some of his staff to the temple to fix it up. And these workers discovered a book. They discovered what they called the book of the law. It was for them what they had at the time, their Bible. It was the, the book of the law of Moses. And Josiah, the king, here he is, the king of Judah, the holy city of Jerusalem, he'd never heard this before. He said, read this, read this to me. And the, the, the word of God, it welled up inside of him and he tore his clothes and he was uh, just falling down before God saying, we haven't followed your ways. We haven't taught the people. So Jeremiah committed to following what he had learned. I'm sorry, Josiah the king, he had, he had committed to following what he had learned here in the book of the law, the scriptures that he discovered. He had it read to all of the people. And all of this was happening early in Jeremiah's prophetic ministry. So there was this sense of spiritual renewal and revival. But not much more than a decade later, 12, 13 years, King Josiah died. And the kings that followed, they, they led the people away from God deeper and deeper and deeper into darkness. They followed the way of the world instead of turning from the way of the world. The culture turned to uh, idolatry. They turned their back on God. And what happened to Jeremiah? Jeremiah, for all his bringing God's word, he began to get harassed and persecuted, but he kept on. He kept on doing the work of the Lord. Remember what we talked about last week. Jeremiah had this promise from God. God had promised to be with him and help him. And evidently, Jeremiah remembered that because even though life became extremely difficult for him, he kept doing God's work and he needed God's help. Because it wasn't just the people of Judah who were troubling Jeremiah and bringing grief. The king of Babylon sent his army to this nation of Judah and the, the army set siege to the city of Jerusalem. They surround Jerusalem and you know, what they would do back in those days, you know, these were walled cities. Jerusalem was a walled city. So they just set the army up outside, siege the city, no food in, and eventually people start to get really uncomfortable. And then they can uh, make their way in 
and do some conquering. And that's what the king of Babylon did. Came and uh, set siege to the city of Jerusalem. Uh, the king at the time, now this happened three times over the course of about 15 years that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar sent his army. Uh, first time, the king of Judah, now that Josiah had died, his name was Jehoiachin, and he was just 18 years old when he became king. And while, at, while he took over the throne, God sent a word to Jeremiah. And I want to just give you a little excerpt of the word that Jeremiah sent to this new king now because he wasn't following after God. So this is Jeremiah chapter 22, verses 25 to 27. A very harsh word brought to King Jehoiachin. And it reads this way. Jeremiah says, God speaking to him, through him, I will deliver you into the hands of those who want to kill you. These are the words of God to King Jehoiachin. Those you fear, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon and the Babylonians, I will hurl you and the mother who gave you birth into another country where neither of you was born. And there you both will die. You will never come back to the land you long to return to. Well, that's a pretty tough word to the king and the queen mother. And that came to pass. The Babylonian army took King Jehoiachin and his mother and all the nobles and the fit fighting men of Jerusalem. They were all taken captive and they were deported to Babylon. I think it's about eight, 900 miles as the crow flies. But the way they had to go, they they would take a journey of about 1,500 miles. That's a long way from home. So this occurred. This happened. How long was King Jehoiachin's reign? Three months. Not very long. The word of the Lord came, and then it happened. And all of this sets the stage for this letter that Jeremiah writes. He writes it to these people who have been taken captive. Now let's go to the word of God and see how this unfolds. It's in Jeremiah chapter 29. And I want to uh, read the first uh, 14 verses. So Jeremiah 29.1. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiachin and the queen mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers, and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. So I just want to stop right there for a second just to say, this was young King Jehoiachin, 18 years old, three months he, he reigned, and he was taken captive into Babylon with his mother and all the best people of Jerusalem. And here it's documented for us. Jeremiah writes it. He reminds the people about this. All these fit people. And this was the best of Jerusalem. If you've read the book of Daniel, Daniel was one of the young men taken at this time. And as 
three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who are better known because the king of Babylon liked to change names. He liked to give his own name. So they're better known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All these four young men who are prominently uh, talked about in the book of Daniel, they were part of this first exile to Babylon. And these were the recipients of Jeremiah's letter. Now let's keep going, verse 3. Jeremiah, it says he, and this is Jeremiah, Jeremiah entrusted the letter to Elash, son of Shephan, and to uh, Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Now, just another brief moment of uh, explanation there. We have a new king, Zedekiah. And that that was a name that the king of Babylon gave him. That was not his, his Hebrew name because the king of Babylon had come in, sieged the city, selected his own king, put him in charge, and said, this is your new name, it's Zedekiah. So now Zedekiah was in charge, and these uh, people are going uh, by his decree, and they're carrying the letter from uh, Jeremiah. And now the letter. So let's read, it's the first half of the letter, to verses 4 to 14. So this is what the letter said. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so, they, so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you. Sorry, verse 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Very important. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from the, to the place from which I carried you into exile. That's the first half of the letter that Jeremiah wrote to the exiles in Babylon. Now picture yourself as one of these exiles. You're in Babylon and you've received this letter from the prophet. Perhaps you're one of the nobles of Jerusalem. 
You were connected to the king or you were connected to his court in some fashion. Perhaps you were some kind of skilled craftsman, an artesian, or a member of the military. You were probably aware of the word that Jeremiah had brought to King Jehoiachin and declared to him, you and your mother are going to be carried away into exile by the Babylonians and you're never coming back. You've probably heard this. Really, it was just, again, he only had a three-month reign. The Babylonians came in, took him out. This was a very specific word from the prophet Jeremiah, and it has come true. It's come true very quickly. My thought is people were talking about it. And now as you sit in exile... You're hundreds of miles from your homeland. You're hundreds of miles from your home. And you receive a letter from the very same prophet that said this was going to happen. I'm thinking you're probably going to pay attention to this. You're probably going to want to read that letter and maybe read it twice. Find out what's, what he has to say. What does the prophet say? And God has plans for you. God has a plan well, let's pay attention. Let's pay attention. What did Jeremiah say? What's the plan? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Well, I can picture it right now in my mind's eye. All the artisans and the craftsmen, they must have went right to work etching that line into stone. And, and carving it into wood. They probably made plaques that had this, this passage that's Jeremiah 29, 11, and they put it in wood and stone and they put it in people's houses and it was hung on walls. And this became a life verse of the multitude. And they were overjoyed and they recited it and they set it to memory because it was God's plan for them. Can you picture that? Do you think that's what happened? I kind of think probably not. And why not? Why not? Well, I'll get there in a minute. See, this particular passage in our Bible, Jeremiah 29, 11, it's extremely popular. If you're familiar with some of the online Bibles, there's one called Bible Gateway, and there's others that are popular. Bible Gateway is one that's very popular. In 2014 and in 2016, it had over one and a half billion page views. And they keep statistics and they share them every other year on the even years. So 2014, they had one and a half billion page views. 2016, they had 1.7 billion page views. The second most searched verse in the Bible was Jeremiah 29, 11. Second only to John 3, 16. Now, in 2018... They had over 2 billion page views. They had about 200 million unique visitors to Bible Gateway. And Jeremiah 29, 11 was the number one. It took over the number one spot as the most searched Bible verse. And you know what? You can find it on coffee mugs and T-shirts and bumper stickers and plaques on walls. And many do call it their life verse. 
And I don't want to take away anything from that. Please, don't get me wrong. I don't want to take away any comfort and encouragement that one might find in the Word of God. There is comfort and there is encouragement here from the prophet Jeremiah that we can receive here 2,500, 2,700 years later. But let's do our best to understand it completely. Let's not take a verse out of context and just hang it on the wall. What if you shared that with a close friend who went and then read this passage and they start scratching their head and they've got more questions than answers after they read the entire chapter of Jeremiah 29. I'm guessing that the original recipients, these people that were in exile, they probably didn't make plaques of wood and they probably didn't sketch out on stone. I know the plans that you have for me. But yet there was hope and there was encouragement in the letter. But with the hope and the encouragement, there was a stark reality. What was God's plan? What was the plan? What did God say? Because he specified the plan. Jeremiah was very specific to the, to the young king and his mother, and they were taken captive. And he's very specific in this word about the plan. And the plan... Part of it said this, when 70 years are completed, I'll come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to Jerusalem. So for you, exiles, again, picture yourself. You're a young man or a young woman in your 20s. Now maybe think of Daniel or Hananiah or Mishael or Azariah, his three friends. They were in the prime of their life. They were in their 20s when they were taken captive. Now here they are in Babylon. And what's the word to them? 70 years. That's the plan. Now they may have been looking forward to a life, to marriage, to a family back in Jerusalem, but they have been uprooted and torn from their homeland, from their, their city that they so loved. They've been captured. They're taken to a foreign land, and they're put to work under a foreign king. And then the word of the Lord from the prophet Jeremiah arrives. And you know this. You know this is an authentic prophet. His words come true. What he says happens. He hears from the Lord, and he tells you this. God has a plan. But in that plan, you aren't going home. You're probably never going to see your home again. In 70 years, you're going to be in your 90s. That is if you live that long. And then you're going to have to trek hundreds of miles like 1,500 miles through barren desert to get back to Jerusalem in your 90s. You think you're going to be going back to Jerusalem? Probably not. I know the plan, says God. You're going to stay here in this foreign land for at least 70 years. You got any relatives back in Jerusalem? Probably not going to see them again. In the, the rest of Jeremiah's letter, which I didn't read, it let them know, back home, it's going to get tough. There's going to be famines and plagues and war. If you left a fiancé back home or family, they're going to be facing some really difficult times. And you can't go home and help them. So what's the plan? What, what, what's the plan then? What did God say? He said, build houses. Get married here. 
have children. Settle here in this foreign land because you're not going home anytime soon. Now, what else is part of the plan for these exiles? Verse number seven that said, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Can you picture these people saying, God, this is your plan? This is your plan? You want me to pray for the foreigners who took me from my home? And, and they put me to work? They've conscripted me to work for them? I got to be in this strange place praying, praying for these people? Seriously, Lord, you call that a plan? You, have a, you say you have a plan to prosper me and not to harm me? And for that to happen, you, you, you call me to pray, to pray for the, these people and my, my captors. Yes, that is the plan. That was the word from God. That's the plan for the hope and the future. And the hope is a distant future. The hope is for your children. The hope is for your children's children that they might see this holy city of Jerusalem, but probably not going to happen for you. You see, Jeremiah was writing to a specific people in a specific place at a specific time. The promises to those people were for the future. And the promises were not to a specific individual like it was to King Jehoiachin and the Queen Mother. It was to that group of people who were taken exile. It wasn't to a specific individual. And it's not to us specifically as an individual. And that's, that's the context that embodies this Jeremiah 29, 11, I have a hope for you, or I have a plan for you, says the Lord. And you might be sitting there saying, wow, thank you very much. You just wrecked that verse for me. I got to go home and take it off the wall. You know, it was so encouraging. I'm going to peel that bumper sticker off in the parking lot before I leave today because this has just shattered my world. Don't be discouraged. Don't be down. Because the, the passage can offer us hope and encouragement, but let's look at it as this context fills it and see what can bring us hope and encouragement. And I'll tell you one thing that I find immensely hopeful in God's plan is that God keeps his word. If you hang that scripture on your wall, remember that. God keeps his word. God is a promise keeper. God's word can be trusted. It can be trusted to the utmost. His word was spoken. His word came to pass. He said 70 years, and then there will be a return. And that is exactly what happened. Precisely 70 years later, you can read the book of Daniel. Daniel said, hey, uh, Jeremiah said 70 years, and he did just what the Lord said, seek me. And he began to seek the Lord. And thousands of people returned to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was rebuilt, and the walls of the city were reconstructed, and the temple of God was rebuilt from the foundation up. And that's because God's word is true. God is a promise keeper. What he says does come to pass. You can count on it. You can take it to the bank every single time. 
So Jeremiah 29, 11, it's not a personal promise to any one of us, but our hope, our hope is in the same God who wrote that, who gave that word. And uh, God keeps his word to this day. You know, there are promises we can take to heart. There are promises that are directed to us from the word of God. And when we hear those promises, when we uh, receive them, we can say, God, you're going to keep your word. You're a, you're a promise keeper. You're a word keeper. And I know it because I can look back here on this passage and I know for a fact it came to pass. And there's promises like these, promises from our Lord Jesus. When Jesus was speaking to a crowd of people, he said this. This is Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Jesus' words, he said, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, who was Jesus speaking to? If we do the same thing that we did when we looked at this passage from Jeremiah and we said Jeremiah was writing to a specific group of people, we look at who was Jesus talking to? It was a general group of people. It was a crowd. It said there was a crowd of people, a multitude of people. It's a general crowd. And, the, and Jesus was speaking to all of them. And we can receive it like that crowd did. Jesus saying to the multitude, all you. This is a general call to all, including us. And this is the plan. This is the plan to prosper you and not to harm you. This is the plan for hope and a future. It's Jesus, Jesus Christ, our living hope. You turn to Jesus and you find rest for your souls, not for today and not for tomorrow, for eternity. Too many take a look at Jeremiah 29, 11 and passages like it throughout scripture and they want to claim some earthly prosperity. Oh, God has a hope for my prosperity. You know, and our faith in Christ is not about that. Our faith is not one of prosperity and promise of earthly gain, uh, of an earthly future, but it's a promise about rest for our souls for eternity. Now, Jesus said, learn from me. This is the word of the Lord to the exiles in Babylon. It's, it's, it parallels it. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Jesus says something very similar. Learn from me. How are we going to learn? How are we going to learn from Jesus unless we seek everything about him? Unless we de de desire to know him more and more every single day. And the more we know of him each day, the more we'll be convinced that we have the assurance of eternal life. And whatever this life brings, whatever the circumstance, when it doesn't equate to earthly prosperity, that will not matter. It won't matter because we can stand on this promise. I have rest for my soul. You know, yet so many Christians are anxious. No rest, no peace. I see so many troubled by the culture, fretting about the, the, the leadership of the country, anxious about the president. I've looked at social media and I see Christians and they're railing about our president. They're, they're, um, 
They're tearing the man down. And I, it don't matter that this is 2019. I saw it in 2016 and 2015 too. It doesn't matter, Democrat or Republican. Christians coming in the name of the Lord using disparaging names about the leader and, and all kinds of venom directed at, at the head of the nation. But here is something we can apply from Jeremiah chapter 29. Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. You were not even in exile. We're in our homeland, yet ripping it down. You know, got, 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 got disparaging names for the leaders. And is that really what the Lord would have us to do as Christians? Or would it be to seek the peace and the prosperity of where God has put us? I mean, God put those exiles in Babylon and he said, seek the peace and the prosperity of that city. Pray for it. Are we praying for Washington or are we ripping it down? Pray to the Lord for it. I, I heard this uh, story last week about a, uh, an Iraqi soldier. During the, uh, the Iraqi war, uh, he, his father-in-law was one of the generals in uh, Saddam Hussein's Republic Guard, but after all that had fallen and such, you know, a lot of things changed. The, the U.S. was there. They were doing that surge a good number of years ago, and uh, this Iraqi man, he, he struck up a friendship with a U.S. serviceman. Every day he came and talked to him. And he wanted to win this young man over for one reason. He wanted to kill him. Now, the day came where he brought his, he brought his sidearm and he was ready to shoot this young serviceman. And for whatever reason, this is what happened. The young U.S. serviceman realized he could see it in this man's eyes. And he'd been talking to him for, for several weeks. And he saw what was about to happen. And he backed away and he, he trained his weapon on him. And he said, don't do it. He said, I've been praying for the peace of this city, and I've been praying for you. Here's a U.S. serviceman over in a foreign land. And by the way, that actually was Babylon. And he's praying for the peace of that city. And here's someone wants to kill him. And this is his declaration to him. I've been praying you know what? He didn't get killed. Now that Iraqi man changed. Changed. You know, what, you know what that Iraqi man can say today? I have rest for my soul. Because he, came, he, he heard about Jesus and he followed, come to me all you who are weary and burdened because he was burdened by all of that, the, the war and the strife and everything, that, and he turned his life over to Jesus Christ. And I know he's in this country now doing the work of the Lord because a man was praying for the peace of the city and the peace of that man. You seek the, seek the peace and the prosperity of where God has you and pray to the Lord for it. For whatever reason God has, for whatever it is, it's his plan that at this time, you're right here, right now, where you live. It is your home. Seek the peace and the prosperity of where God has you. Pray to the Lord 
for it. It's your home. It's your home. It's the best thing we can do. If we take anything away from these passages uh, from Jeremiah, remember God is a promise keeper. He keeps his word. He keeps his word. Latch on to the promises that are directly to you, promises like you can find rest for your souls and pray for the peace and the prosperity of where you're at, your home, your home. And this morning as we conclude, I want to welcome some to this home, to this home, this local body of Christian believers called Bethesda Christian Church. We have a group of people that we would like to welcome into our membership this morning. But before we do that, there's two that we're going to pray for. A prayer of confirmation. A couple of Wednesdays ago, we had a great service. The close of our rooted classes, we pray a prayer of confirmation over people. If you read the book of Acts, more than once it speaks to this. Acts 14, for example, Paul and Barnabas, they were traveling uh, through various cities. They were in the city of Derby. You read in Acts 14. And in verse 21 and 22, you read that when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch confirming the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith. And that's a prayer we want to pray. It's a prayer we take very seriously. After a time of teaching, we pray a prayer of confirmation. So before we welcome those into membership, I want to invite to these altars this morning Ian Moss, whom we're going to pray a prayer of confirmation, and Tope Olegbaye. If you two gentlemen would come to the altars and we have some elders that would uh, lay hands on you and pray over you. And I want to invite all of you in this uh, sanctuary to pray with us. Because again, this is the word of God. We, we want to follow as best we possibly can God's word and take time to pray this prayer and then we have more that we're going to welcome into the membership along with these two fine men. Okay, let's pray. You elders are uh, ready and ministers to lay your hands on them and pray this prayer. Pray, pray with me, congregation. Lord, we just come before you humbly but boldly. Hear in your word, God, that says they confirm the souls, encouraging them exhorting them to continue in the faith. So God, his hands are laid on these two men. God, we pray the work that you've begun in them, the, the faith that you've rooted into their hearts, God, we pray that it would stay strong. We pray that that root would go down deep inside their hearts. We pray, God, that they would stand firmly on the rock that is Jesus Christ. They would ever cling to Jesus and the fact that he is our living hope, that he has given promise to us 
rest for our souls for eternity. May they never waver from it, God. In the future, as they go forth from this time right now, may they be bright lights for the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that these two would boldly be able to speak your word of truth to others, be it at the workplace, be it in their neighborhoods, Lord, be it in their family. Whoever crosses their path, may they be strong witnesses for the kingdom of the living God and Jesus Christ, Lord, and do them with power from on high by your Holy Spirit, God, that the work that you've begun in them would continue, Lord, until the day they see you face to face, Lord, that you would carry them, that you would surround them, Lord, that you would set your holy angels in charge over them at all times, God, that they would be men of God, men of the faith, Lord, and they would continue to seek you every single day. Help them to be great leaders over their families, God, to be good husbands and good fathers, Lord, and to be examples to everyone who's around them. May people reach out and ask them, why are you different, God? And I pray that they are equipped and ready to give an answer. Oh my God, carry them, be with them, hold them in the palm of your hand and keep them. Lord, we are looking forward to all that you're going to do in their lives as you walk steadfastly with them and as they continue to keep their faith strongly rooted in our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his powerful, precious, and matchless name that we ask these things. Amen. Amen. You too may, uh, may stand. And both of these men are coming into our fellowship this morning, and I have others to introduce. To my right is Ernest, uh, who also goes by Skyler, and Tamika Stringer with their son, Caleb. So they're, they're going to come over here to uh, my right. And along with Tope is uh, his lovely wife, Kehinde, who we call Kenny. And uh, she is, she's bringing with her E-Ray, her son, and they have two daughters who are working on our tech team. So they're, they're working for us this morning. And that's, that's Irawo and Itunu. So they're in the back. They're not coming forward, but we thank them. They're already here and uh, really serving so hard. They're great servants. Uh, right here, front and center, is uh, Sean Perry. Here's Sean. And with Ian, his uh, lovely wife, Amanda, and are you bringing Xavier? Xavier's upstairs. Okay, so they have, a, uh, they have a precious son, Xavier. Okay, and finally to my far left, uh, Joe or Joseph. Uh, Joseph formally, but I know him as Joe and Rochelle Schaller. Come on forward. We, uh, let's just greet them all and say thank you for wanting to make this your home. We are grateful for all of you that uh, you have you've 
come here for various reasons. God has directed you here, and uh, we're grateful to receive you as part of the family of Bethesda Christian Church this morning, and we want to pray a prayer of blessing over you. I want to invite the congregation, if you would just stand with us as uh, this as this prayer of blessing is prayed over all of these. And then after, after I pray, don't run out. Don't go, don't go your, the, typically the way you go that way. After I say amen, come forward and welcome all of these. Welcome them, shake their hand. If you haven't met them, get to know their name. This is a great, great group of people. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your blessing. Thank you for the blessing of adding to this local body. God, every single one of these souls is precious. They have uh, come here by your hand. You've directed their lives. You've led them. And Lord, we receive them here. We receive them, all of us. And we ask, God, that you would open them up, God, that you would uh, expose their gifts and their talents to be used for your kingdom. Lord, we thank you and we praise you because they're adding to us. They're going to enhance this fellowship. They are going to make this body better. The addition of your people, God, we appreciate and we're grateful and we thank you for each one of them. God, we, we pray that you would use them in the, the gifts and the talents that you've put inside each one. God, we pray that they would be honed and they would be used for you. God, as the days and the years go forward, Lord, we look forward to all that you're going to do with each of these lives. And we ask your blessing on them, God, that you would bless them, bless each family represented here, God, that you would uh, continually shower them with the presence of the Holy Spirit. May they know that, they, that, that you're with them and that you're blessing them, God. We commit them into your hands for your grace, your loving kindness, your tender mercies. May they always continue to speak of them in their lives. And we thank you, Father. We thank you for bringing each one here to this church. We thank you in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.